Uh, my name is Jason Simon. As I said at the beginning, if we haven't met, um, I am the student minister here at University Baptist Church, so I lead our youth in college. Um, I'm also probably not who you were expecting to see up here today. So uh, I led a couple weeks ago. I had the privilege of leading us in worship um, through the sermon, not through singing, because we want y'all to come back um, a couple weeks ago. And then uh, Warren Etheridge, one of our church members, led us last week, and we were really grateful for that. And this week, um, our pastor, Jeremiah, was slated to be back and, and before you all. Uh, and if you haven't heard, we just want to give you a quick update on some things going on with, with Jeremiah and his family. Um, over the Christmas holidays, Jeremiah's father contracted COVID. Um, so he's been battling the coronavirus and has had a pretty up and down battle um, and is in the hospital currently. So Jeremiah left um, this weekend. He and his family went to go be with their family and help take care of some things and um, to try to get some things to his dad up at the hospital. So um, if we, uh, we're going to start our service actually by taking a moment just to pray for that. That was unforeseen circumstances. So um, I have the privilege of, of filling in and Jeremiah and I talked about what was laid on his heart for the direction we're going to go. So we're going to go there together in just a moment. But um, I'd like to begin our, our service just in a time of prayer for, for Steve Smith, Jeremiah's father, but then also the other members of our congregation who are affected by this, have been affected by it. It's affected their families. We have healthcare workers. Um, and it just feels right to take a moment out and uh, go before the Father for them. So if you would bow your heads with me. Father God, we, um, we thank you that your ear is attentive to us, and uh, we thank you that you know our circumstances, that you're in them with us, that you walk alongside this road with us. We thank you for your spirit that lives in us and empowers us. Um, God, we ask you to bring healing to our land, Father. Um, we pray for Steve as he's in the hospital right now, for the doctors and nurses attending him, for Jeremiah and his family as they are um, traveling and, and trying to minister to their family and take care of things that they need to take care of, Lord. Uh, we, we pray for perseverance for them and endurance, God. We pray for a spirit of unity to knit their hearts together this morning, knowing that even though um, they can't be here, that we are with them in spirit, God, that we, um, our hearts go out for them and, and we are lifting them up this morning. But along with our other church members, God, we have uh, members who are listening to this from the hospital or who are listening to this from their homes with their spouses or loved ones in the hospital, God. We just want to lift up our community right now um, as we fight this battle against this virus, God. I thank you for the tools we've been given. I thank you for the wisdom we've been given to walk this road. Um, we pray, God, that you would just help us keep our eyes fixed on you as we um, sometimes feel like we're drowning in our circumstances, God. We give you praise and glory and honor. We trust you, Father, but we also ask you to move mightily and to bring deliverance. Um, God, and we ask that in the powerful name of Christ. Amen. Okay, so as I said, I'm going to be here with you guys this, this morning, and uh, Jeremiah keeps the staff updated on where we're going with our sermon plans and, and what's coming up and kind of the scope of where we're headed as a church. And um, I will tell you guys that on uh, late Wednesday, he sent us an email and said, our plans are changing. <laughs> um, we kind of knew where we were expected to go and uh, and then through just a lot of sensitivity to the Spirit, a lot of prayer and, and seeking out the Scriptures, um, Jeremiah just felt like we needed to land in the book of Hebrews. So that's where we're going to go is um, in Hebrews 12. So if you have your Bibles or your phones, if you're online and want to open a tab and, and flip over to Hebrews 12, uh, we'll be there in just a moment. Um, but man, 
it's hard to it's hard to know where to go, you know, after a week like like we've had in our in our nation and it's also interesting that we've said that like so many times over the past few months like wow, this is unprecedented. This is unprecedented and pretty soon something's going to be precedented and we're not going to know what to say. We're going to be like, well, is it unprecedented or is it is it precedented? Um, but, but there's a lot happening in our country, and, and while I'm, a, I'm not a political analyst or, or anything like that, um, I love you guys, and I love the people that God has surrounded us with. And so I also want to take a moment out um, at the beginning of our service to just pray, um, to pray for peace. So we're going to do that right now as you flip your Bibles to Hebrews 12. Um, Father God, we, uh, we approach your throne looking at what's going on and having seen so much strife and so much division and specifically within our country, Lord, and we wonder, you know, who, who got more votes and things like that, God, and um, what I look and see is a nation that's split right down the middle, 51, 50, or, or 49, 51, Lord, and um, I just pray you knit our hearts together. God, we are all different. We all bear your image, and you have given us specific gifts and callings to do that, specific passions to do that. Father, help us be surrounded by a community that keeps our gaze transfixed on you. Father, as we move forward, I pray that, um, that the cry of our hearts would, uh, would be for, for the advancement of a kingdom, God, but, but a kingdom, Lord, that we want to see your kingdom come and change hearts, change our hearts, Father, um, knit us together in perfect unity like only your blood can. Uh, we thank you for differences. God, we thank you for the way that um, our different life experiences shape us. And again, God, we just pray in the spirit of, of your, your prayer, Jesus and John, just for a spirit of unity to be, be what we're known by and what knits us together. And we uh, move forward, God. Help us keep our gaze on you. And it's in Christ that we pray. Amen. So the book of Hebrews, I want to give you a little bit of background about Hebrews before we read it. But if you know anything about Hebrews, it's actually kind of hard to give you background on it. Uh, we don't uh, know who the author was. For a long time, it was uh, expected that it was Paul. Uh, but then um, that hasn't held up to scholarship. It's not written in the same way that Paul wrote most of his letters. The language is a little bit different. Um, so some scholars think it was Paul. Some think it was Barnabas. Um, some think it was Apollos. Essentially, we don't really know who, who wrote it. Um, so we'll just talk then about who they wrote it to. Well, that's also kind of difficult with the book of Hebrews. Um, there's not really a specific audience listed except for Hebrews. It was, it was obviously written to a group of uh, Hebrew believers. So these are people who, who are Jewish, who also believe in the Son of God as Jesus Christ. And and you can tell that, that the um, letter is directed towards them just because of some of the language in it where um, it talks about, you know, not falling away. And essentially, this letter is going out to a people who are, um, have been following Jesus but have also been kind of tempted to fall back into the traditional practices of their Jewish faith and maybe stop um, pushing into their Christian faith. And so that's what the letter is addressing. And the, the goal is... Um, Man, Christ is supreme. From the first chapter in Hebrews, what you hear is Christ is supreme over everything, over everyone, over every philosophy, um, over every Old Testament tradition, Christ reigns supreme. And 
then towards the end of the book, the author goes into this analogy of a race, um, like running a race. And that's kind of where we find ourselves in chapter 12. And then he says, hey, keep your eyes fixed um, on Jesus. And so I want to ask, how many of you are iPhone users in here? iPhone users. Yeah, my people. All right. I'm an iPhone user as well. I've loved my iPhone, honestly. Um, But they did this thing about a year ago, at least that's when it started showing up on my phone, um, called Screen Time. You guys know what I'm talking about, about Screen Time. And you just randomly get this message during the week, and it's like, hey, here's how much time you averaged on your phone last week. And you just die a little bit inside each time you read it. Maybe you guys don't. I do. I'm always like, oh, it wasn't that bad. And then I start to think through it, and I'm like, oh, my goodness. It was that bad. Um, I'm going to give you all some statistics on screen time, okay? This is, um, I hope it blows your mind. Maybe it won't. The average amount of time 8 to 10-year-olds spend behind a screen, this is pre-pandemic. This is pre-Zoom classes and all that stuff. Uh, 8 to 10-year-olds, 6 and a half hours a day. 11 to 14-year-olds, screen time, 9 hours a day. That's a full-time job. Nine hours a day. Um, 15 to 18 year olds, seven and a half hours a day. Um, adults average around um, six to 11 hours on our, on our, behind our screen. So that's our phones, but then also taking in media. So not like your time on your computer at work, just either sitting at a TV taking in media or sitting um, on your phone on social media or reading articles and things like that. Um, Six to 11 hours. That's a long time. That's a very long time for our eyes to be fixed on our phones or on a screen. I'm feeling it. My eyes have aged in the last couple years, like more than they did my entire life. Um, They have blue glasses. You guys know, anyone have blue light glasses? Yeah, because our eyes are so fatigued from just looking at screens all the time. It's amazing. Um, But it brings up an interesting point and ties in really well um, to what we're going to read in Hebrews in a moment about What are our eyes fixed on? Where's our gaze being given to over and over um, throughout the day? I know um, we have to be on screens right now. These statistics post-pandemic are probably even more frightening because of how much time we're having to do that. So many of us working remotely or just doing so much um, ordering online and, you know, never even stepping foot in the store and things like that. I know a lot of you are... um, watching online right now or are doing a lot of Zooming um, because you have to be stuck at home, you're, you're isolating because of health, or maybe you're even Zooming um, with loved ones who are in a hospital. So you're spending a lot of time behind a screen um, on that Zoom screen trying to reach out to those loved ones, or maybe you're staring at your email inbox like, and you're just waiting for, for some kind of news to come in. If you're like me this week, you opened Facebook probably 15 times every minute um, because every time you did, there was something else going on. And I sat down for coffee on Wednesday, and, like, the world was okay. And then I got out of coffee an hour and a half later and was like, that's a picture of our capital and lots of people. When's that from? Today. Oh, okay. And then just a constant barrage of emails and texts coming in and different sides of the story. And, I mean, I have been glued to my phone to the point where my wife kind of lovingly and generously pointed out, so I went to bed really early on Wednesday night. I was like, I don't know what's wrong. I'm just tired. And Thursday morning, I was like, Ashley, I'm sorry. I was just so tired last night. I don't know. Like, 
there's so much happening in the world. I don't think that's it. And she just, like, gave me one of these. And I was like, what? I mean, yeah, I get, like, a little emotionally involved. And she was like, just pouring coffee. And the eyes, you know the eyes. They don't have to say anything with the mouth. It's all right here. And I realized that I didn't put my son to bed the night before. I was just like, oh my gosh, like this is going on, this is going on. I love you, good night. I'll see you in a little bit. Like trying to stay updated because I feel like part of my job is to know what's going on just as a citizen. But then also um, I look up at the end of the week and I'm like, oh my goodness, I lost a huge chunk of my life this week to these things. And my son is just, dad, 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 can we build this thing? Can we build this thing? And I'm like, yeah, we're building it, dude. You're doing great. Like, we're building it. He's like, dad, I can't even get the stuff out. And I'm like realizing the stuff's not even out of the closet yet because I'm just stuck in my phone. And then Jeremiah's like, hey, will you preach on this chapter? And I'm like, no, I don't want to preach on that chapter right now because it's convicting. Hebrews 12, verses 1 through 3. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition for sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. That's who we fix our eyes on. We're going to spend the next few weeks breaking these three verses down. I mean, just these three verses at the beginning of this chapter bear a lot of weight. Um, I'm going to walk you from the back forward. So today we're going to focus on just a few words at the very beginning of this, but I want to let you know where we're headed. So at first, you know, it's again, it's this metaphor. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. It's, this is a long distance race analogy. So we've got a long time to go. You've got to persevere. You've got to just go step after step after step. You're going to get through it. And then he kind of lays out how we're going to do it. The author does here. So um, we are running this race, and then he says, Christ pioneered and perfected our faith. That's who we're keeping our eyes on. That's who we're going to fix our eyes on as we do this. So as we're running, our eyes are transfixed on Jesus. Um, one thing I like to talk with new college students about when they're walking around campus is give them a semester or so. So if you're a freshman, maybe you're watching online because you're not back yet, um, we'll probably have this talk in the spring. Um, when I go on campus, I see a lot of students who walk around like this. And somehow they can maneuver. And they might be looking at a phone, but even if they're not looking at a phone, their heads are just always down. For me, I had my backpack, and I would have this, like this is how I would walk. My college students have pointed out I still do that. Usually I have a lanyard on, and I just like get like this. But I would just walk, and my head would be down. And I would challenge them and then make them be accountable, follow up with them week after week. Hey, walk with your head up. Like, people have eyes. Try to find them while you're walking. It's amazing. I used to, I would say, look for the smile. Can't do that anymore, right? Look for their eyes. Keep your head up. Walk with your head up. The author's saying here, when you run, run with your head up. I used to run endurance races. I don't know that I can say I do anymore. Um, but I would run ultra marathons and 
What I love about ultramarathons is most of them take place in, uh, on trails, like out in the forest. Um, and while you have to know where your feet are landing, you've also got to have your eyes up because you have to know you're not on a road that's straight for 26 miles. You're on a trail that's going to go around trees and go up hills and duck in and out of hills and things. So you've got to know. Your eyes have to be up. That's what the author's saying here. Run with your head up. Keep your eyes on Jesus. So we'll go there in a few weeks. Um, but then he says, hey, while you're running, you're going to have all these encumbrances about you. You're not, you don't just get like a nice, steady, easy race. There are going to be things thrown in your path. There are going to be obstacles in the way. You've got to know what's coming at you. Some of those obstacles you carry, it literally says you have to cast them off. You have to know where you're headed. You have to be able to navigate to where you're going. We'll go there in a few weeks as well. Um, but then right here, he starts the very beginning. It says, therefore, that's an important word we'll come back to in a minute. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. That's what we're going to talk about this morning. Being surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. Um, I want to start by just kind of breaking these words down. Um, again, the imagery is that you're running a race. So there are spectators watching this race, okay? And that's this word cloud right here. So surrounded and cloud go together in the way the author's describing it. And it's not just like there are people around me. I mean, what he's really trying to pull out is there's a great multitude. Um, think like a large crowd of people. Um, anyone in here ever been to a NASCAR race? Given a little bit of my, yeah, I grew up going to NASCAR races. Think what you want. It was awesome. All right? Um, the craziest thing about a NASCAR race, though, is that the real race happens as soon as there's a checkered flag. Because then the stands just, well, usually there's like a burnout and there's lots of yelling and smoke and stuff. And then, once the show's over, everyone exits. I'm talking tens of thousands of people exiting this, what's not a very big seating area, going to their cars all at the same time. Like, even in here right now, we're phasing you out, and we're like, bye last row, bye next to last row, and it's real orderly. No, total free-for-all, little bit of a bloodbath after a NASCAR race. And everyone's going, and you just go. Like, you just walk out, and sometimes you know, like, my car's way over there, but the people are going this way. And I can't, like there's no way. This is before six feet was a thing and we used to like touch shoulders and push each other and be just generally rude to each other in crowds. There's a whole group of people. That's what the author's saying here. You're surrounded, like there's so many witnesses. Now we don't know what witnesses are yet, but he's saying you're surrounded by a great cloud of these people. Like so many almost like they're going, they're carrying you this direction you need to go. They are walking with you they're calling to you from the sidelines. They're cheering you on like in a race. You are surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses. Now, the witnesses, let's talk about what that means. Um, what comes to mind when you might hear witness may be like, like a trial, like someone who, who testifies or something like that. Usually in a trial, a witness, you're under oath, but you're not on trial. Um, the implication here, using this word witness, is, is really someone who's actually on trial. Like someone who is sitting, testifying to the faith 
that they have. It's more than just a testimony or more than just words. It borders martyrdom. I mean, that's the, that's the, the implication here is this martyrdom. Like, you are surrounded, you are being pressed in by people whose faith is so real and so genuine that they are willing to give their lives for this, like to be changed by this. These are the people who are calling to you. You are surrounded by them. They are pressing in on you. And if you're not a Christian, that probably sounds weird, that, that there are people who would be willing to be martyred or to give their, their lives for this. Um, it would have to be pretty remarkable for that to be the case, right? Like, this would have to be something pretty substantial to be worthy of totally giving your life over for and to be surrounded by people who are willing to do that. And I'm just here to say, like, you don't even have any idea how amazing this is and how worth it it is for that. This is, implication is someone who's willing to stand before a tribunal, willing to speak the truth and knowing that they will be called a liar. Think Stephen in the New Testament, willing to give testimony for his faith, knowing that this crowd is not going to accept it, but believing and hoping that they will. Knowing that there is punishment coming for him on the end of in Jesus' name, but he's willing to say it. That's the people we're surrounded by. The, the implication here, though, is, is that first word, like I said, it starts with therefore. It's easy to forget that the Bible, the scriptures in here weren't written with chapter verse numbers, right? Hebrews is a letter written as someone would write a letter to you, just kind of a running system of thought. Now, obviously, there's structure. It's a very well-thought-out system of thought. That's why we call it a book and treat it like a book. But essentially, it was written as a letter. And this, therefore, is referencing the chapter immediately before. It's referencing chapter 11. Chapter 11 is, is kind of called the Hall of Faith in Christian tradition. Um, and it, it lists all of these great heroes of the faith, people who were just known throughout the Bible. These are the lessons you learn when you're little about David and Goliath or Moses in the Red Sea. I mean, people who were just mighty heroes of the faith. Um, Abraham, Noah, Joseph, Rahab, all these people. It lists out and says, hey, those people these heroes of the faith who did amazing things, God split seas through them and raised the dead to life through them. Like those people, you're surrounded by them. They're, they're calling out to you. They're, they're leading you on. And on the one hand, you know, you're like, oh yeah, well, they're perfect Bible people. Like they've got it all together. They're the heroes. Again, if you read chapter 11 or you hear those names and you're not super familiar with Christianity and you hear names like Abraham and Moses and you just know like Moses in the Red Sea and like that great act or, or Abraham and leading the people, um, starting a nation, you need to know there is a whole lot of folly within those people. There's a whole lot of stumbling that happens in all of their stories. But here they're, they're referenced as heroes. I love at the end of chapter 11, it says the world wasn't even worthy of them. But they stumbled and they fell and they didn't have it all together like in any sense of the word. But what sets them apart is they didn't, um, they didn't let their folly get in the way of their faith. And chapter 11 is all about they had faith that was so strong that it was counted to them as righteousness. They trusted. Those are the people that we're surrounded by these people that we can look up to, um, that we can trust. So yeah, on the one hand, 
um, we have those historic people, people even more recent like Jim Elliott or, or Mother Teresa or um, Ravi Zacharias, if you're into apologetics, or, you know, these, these huge heroes of the faith. I mean, Harriet Tubman, William Wilberforce, just these people who weren't perfect, but have paved the way. And it's easy to forget that we, we stand on their shoulders as believers. Like, even standing in this room, like looking at this room, we, I guess it was two years ago, um, we celebrated our 90th anniversary as a congregation, which was pretty awesome. Um, it's awesome for a lot of reasons, but one, just to think of how many people have come into this place, have, have walked on this land or, or worshiped within groups and been a part of this congregation that we won't ever even know. I mean, the history in this room, like the, the, the stained glass, I mean, just looking up and thinking of the, the pastors who stood here before and like preached in these same halls and, and, and led people and led students, I mean, trying desperately to reach this campus across the street with this good news. Like, there are people who have gone before us. We're surrounded by them and we're, we're pressed in by them. And, and they're here now even, right? A, a great cloud of, of witnesses. Gosh, just some of the fractions of the stories I know of you guys in this room or those of you I know who are watching online are incredible. And I would count you as heroes of my faith. I look up to you all. It's amazing to look around and think, man, we're in this together. And what a week where it doesn't feel like anyone's together for anything. But yet we can come in here and know, no, we're, we're in this together. Um, worldwide, there are between two and three billion Christians. That's a lot of people. Between two and three billion Christians. And thinking that the church is dying, if you, um, if you read any articles, they're like, oh, church is decreasing and people aren't coming. And we talked a little bit about that a couple weeks ago with our specific church. Um, that's really a westernized way of viewing Christianity and doesn't represent at all a global picture. Like to think that there are people around the world whose language we, don't, we could never comprehend, or at least can't now, who worship the same God with a totally different set of words and language structure. The, the nation with the fastest growing church, not like church building, like Kevin and April said earlier, but church body of believers right now, is Iran. Is that shocking? Iran, the nation with the fastest growing church. Places like, um, like East Asia, the church is exploding to the point that we don't even know how many because it's underground in a lot of places. But you can't stomp it out. People who are willing to give their life for this every day. We're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. I love the Bible app, the YouVersion Bible app. I don't know if any of you guys use it. I already know that most of you are iPhone users because I set this up. So download the Bible app if you don't have it. It's amazing. It's called the YouVersion Bible app. The little icon just says Holy Bible. It's an awesome app. It's really versatile. Um, I love it. We're doing a devotion with our youth right now on it and have been for like 110 days or 20 days or something like that at this point where every day they can go on that app and there's a devotion and it points them to scripture every single day. Um, it's an amazing app. 
Last year, there were over 52 million new downloads of that app. 52 million. Some of those are like new devices, like, oh, I lost my phone because it's 2020, and that's just going to happen. So I got a new one, had to get the Bible app. Um, but some of those are people who are getting the Bible in their language for the very first time ever. Like their Bible is being made, is being translated into their native tongue and then put out digitally so they can have access to it before books and resources can get there, especially right now with how messed up the supply chain of things is. 52 million people. There's over 1,700 new languages on there last year. Tribal dialects that may have been so far down the list of getting the Bible in their language now have it and will come together in a moment like today, whether it's today or a different moment, they will come together and they'll worship the same God, reading the same scriptures, standing on the same traditions of faith that we do. That is incredible. It's remarkable. 22 million new downloads of the Bible app for kids last year. So it's, it's kind of, it's a Bible story but it's made for kids, and you can click through it, and it tells little stories, and it walks these little figures through, and there's games at the end that are like, um, you're painting a picture of the garden, well, not the garden of Gethsemane, maybe, maybe like Jesus and the fish or something like that, um, but there's, there's all these little uh, kid-oriented things. We did it with our son last year, um, one every night. It's where he gets in bed, and he's like, can I read my Bible? And Sometimes we get out a Bible and we read it, and sometimes we get out the phone and we read it there, and it's all the Bible to him, and he's learning about Jesus, and it's amazing. 22 million new downloads of that in 2020. But here's an interesting thing. Um, you can click on a single verse on there, and you can highlight it, or you can make a note about it, or you can share it. There's just a button. You can email it out or text it or put it on social media. The most shared verse of 2020 on the Bible app, Isaiah 41.10. Isaiah 41.10. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. Do not be discouraged, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will hold you up with my victorious right hand. More than a half a billion times that was shared directly from the app, directly from the clicking on the phone or the iPad right there on the screen. Half a billion times last year. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. It's amazing that Jeremiah can say at the beginning of 2020, hey, I know December 27th is open. Jason, will you preach that day? And I could spend all year with that in the back of my mind and then plan a message and that message ties in really well with what he's gone through in Advent, and we hadn't talked about it. God just worked it that way. And then Warren's preaching the next week, and Warren's like, hey, man, what are you preaching on? And I tell him, and he's like, dude, that ties in perfectly with where we're going, like with what I'm going to teach about this week. And you see how God works that. And then Jeremiah has a sensitivity to say, man, I thought we were going to go here, but after praying, I really think we just need to spend a year fixing our eyes on Jesus because we don't know where else to look. We look around us. We, we listen to voices around us, and it's so confusing. It's filled with hate. This week, I was on a meeting, and someone said, oh, you'll have to send me that picture. Or I'll send you this picture on Facebook. And the other person said, oh, I'm not on Facebook. And then the first person said, yeah, well, I wish I wasn't either at this point. 
we're just being drugged down by all these voices around us, and Scripture is just calling us to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. Those obstacles are there. I'm not saying, oh, just totally ignore those things and go the other way. No, there's a race we have to run. Like, we have to continue moving forward in our faith. We'll talk in a few weeks about how to navigate these obstacles, but the first thing here, the main point is fix your eyes on Jesus. And the first thing the author leads out with is remember who you're surrounded by. Remember who you're surrounded by. Because ultimately, we just want to know that we're not alone. Half a billion shares. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. Do not be discouraged, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my victorious right hand or my righteous right hand. We are so desperate to know, to have the assurance that our fears are unfounded. That our fears of not being able to measure up, of of isolation, of health, that they're unfounded, that there's hope, that we don't have to be afraid. And Scripture is shouting, I mean, through Advent we read it, we just want to know we're not alone, and God is saying, I'm with you. I'm with you. You want the assurance that you're not alone. Listen to my words, which have never returned void ever. I'm with you. And here, it's pointing to a a more comprehensive picture. We have focused on Emmanuel, God with us, as Jesus Christ. What a gift. But here, the author's saying, hey, remember, like, you're walking this together. Like, you all bear his image. You bear his name out into the world together. So when you feel so isolated and alone, you're not. We're together. That doesn't mean we're the same. Praise God we're not all the same. We're not the same. But we're together. We're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, knit together by something greater than even family, and that's the blood of Christ which crosses every bridge, which bears light into every dark space. We are together. I, am, uh, I never went to seminary. I've shared, some of that, uh, I've shared that with some of you before. I know that it's pretty typical. You need like a, a solid outline when you're preaching, like a, a nice three-point is what we're comfortable with, right? Four is too many. Um, we really want it to be three. As I was preparing this, y'all, there's just one thing. One major takeaway, and it's that you're not alone. We feel alone. We feel alone in our beliefs. We feel alone in our crises. We feel alone in our families. We sit in a crowded room and we feel alone. We feel like no one processes things the same way we do. No one understands what we're going through. No one has the financial trouble that I do. One of the greatest tactics throughout Scripture that Satan uses to get at the people of God is to isolate them, is to make them feel alone. I mean, back in 1 Kings, you've got a great prophet, Elijah, who does this amazing thing where he calls down fire from heaven and he defeats all these false prophets and there's this amazing victory for God. And then Elijah, the the rulers at the time are like, we're going to get you because you just killed all our prophets. And he runs out into the wilderness and just prays to God to die. 
He says, God, there's no one else. There's no one else. I cannot bear this weight. I'm done. God tells him to rest. He rejuvenates him. Tells him to rest again. And then he says, no, there are 7,000 people in Israel you don't even know about that I've already set aside. You're not alone. You just had this great victory. I haven't left you. And you're surrounded by a great cloud of people who you don't even know. But they're fighting the same battle that you're fighting. They're walking the same road. The same temptations that you're facing, they're facing them. And we don't have to do it alone. We don't have to do it isolated. Isolation is a season. And we're in a season of, of isolation right now. Even this morning, hearing us say, man, we're just, what a gift it is to just have snow and just the joy of, of a simple moment like this and feeling like we're together and can stand outside and be goofy with these huge snowflakes coming down outside. But the underlying thing of that is that we have many families who are alone right now. And I want to remind us that, that isolation is just a season. We don't know how long the season will be. We talked about that a couple weeks ago. We don't know. And we're not going to just sit here and long for a new day and neglect the day we've been given. But we can also hold on to the hope that this, this is just a season. Ultimately, this life is just a season. We're just on a journey. But there's a difference because lon- loneliness is different. And this is where we're going to work towards wrapping up here. Loneliness. You know, statistically, the group that says they're the most lonely of all age demographics is 18 to 24-year-olds would say that um, they're the most lonely. 65% would say they always or most of the time feel alone, feel lonely. It's um, carried through other demographics. Uh, 58% of Americans... Um, would say that no one knows them well. They don't have anyone that actually knows them well. 49% would say they, they sometimes or most of the time lack companionship. Loneliness has actually been declared a public health crisis. Before the pandemic, it was a public health crisis. There's a really interesting study um, from the University of California, Irvine, uh, Irvine which says um, loneliness is a greater health risk than obesity and smoking. The toll it takes on your health is, is worse than that. We don't want to be alone. And we're surrounded. We're on our phones all the time. We're behind these screens for hours and hours a day. I got my screen time report driving to church this morning. I'm not even going to share it with you. But we're lonely, which is exactly why Christ calls us into community. It's why he sets it up as a pillar of our faith. We have to be willing to lean into community because the devil wants us to feel isolated. The world wants us to feel isolated. And we're not. Look around this room. You're online with us. Know that there are people in this room. Look at how many people are viewing. You're not alone. You may be different. That doesn't mean you're alone. Christ says you're going to be different. That's exactly why he calls us together, because we each 
have different gifts that he's going to use for his church. We each bear out his image. Right? The image of God that we get to carry forward. Jesus came and lived a perfect life on this earth. He shined as a light in the darkness. And then as he was leaving, he said, go and carry this light out. Take this light with you. 1 John 1, 7 says, If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we walk in the light as he's in the light, we have fellowship with one another. Fellowship with one another. Light's not made to be hidden away. That's a very simple teaching. But we can forget it. Hide it under a bushel. No, you guys know what I'm talking about. You can act like you don't, but you do. It's not made to be put away. We're taught from when we're little and we forget. We are made to burn together. We're brighter when we're together. We're stronger when we're together, even in our differences. Because in our differences, in our weaknesses, Christ is glorified. People look at the church and say, that is a ragtag group of people who are so different from each other, but they're also so different from me. Why are they so different? We can say, you know what? It is Christ that pulls us together. Let me tell you about this hope I have. Let me tell you about why I am choosing to keep my eyes fixed on Jesus than everything else going on right now. Yes, we're aware. We have to be aware. God placed us in this moment for a very specific reason. We need to know what's going on. But we cannot fix our gaze on that. We fix our gaze on Jesus, and we remember that we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. If you have not, um, if you're not part of a church, like maybe you've been visiting online, or you just stumbled in here, or you've been visiting for a while, um, I implore you to become part of a church. Of course, we want it to be us because we love doing this. We love walking alongside each other. It's awesome to see what God's doing through this place and through all of us. But maybe it's not us. Maybe it's another church. It doesn't matter. We can get you connected with great churches. If you're watching from far away and you want to get plugged into a place that's more local, we want to help you find that. If you need to be plugged in online, then we want to help you know how to connect with us more deeply and intimately online. And by us, I don't mean the staff. I mean us, one another. Because we're here for each other. Join a church. It really, the local church is the hope of the world. Because God said against the church, let me see, I don't remember if I put the verse in here. Jesus asks the apostles, who do you say that I am? And one of them says, you're the son of God. And he says, you know what? On that statement will be the rock. I will build my church and not even the gates of hell will prevail against it. Guys, the, the hope of the world, if you're looking around the world and you're wondering, man, where's the hope? It is us. That's not even really true. It is Christ in us. We don't even have to bear the weight of it ourselves because Christ makes, him shine, makes himself shine through us. So, to wrap it up, I want you to remember you are surrounded, pressed in by a great cloud of witnesses, people who testify to this truth who move you along, who are cheering you on, people who have gone before and people who are here now going alongside you. You are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. And what they are shouting at you is that though this race is hard and it's long, you are not alone. Though you feel different and you feel isolated, you are not alone. 
Though you're stuck at home and you can't get out right now because of your health, you are not alone. You have family in the hospital and you feel broken. We break with you and you're not alone in that. And though you feel like there's no hope, we are here to remind you that there is hope. You're not alone in feeling like that. Don't let loneliness overwhelm you. Please reach out to us. We are here. When you reach out to us, I hope you know that we are going to just point you straight back to Jesus. But we're going to do it together, and we're going to walk that road alongside you together. Because we're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, and we are all headed. And the end of the race, one day we will transfix our eyes on Jesus' face. And I long for that glorious day. But until then, we press on. We press on together. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for, um, I thank you that I can give you my thanks and you accept them. That I stand here just wondering, what is man that you're mindful of us? Yet you are. And the lengths you have gone to show us your love are unthinkable. But you've done them. I thank you that you continue meeting us, God, that we can transfix our eyes on you and trust in you. And God, as we do that, please widen our gaze to see those around us who are doing this too. Some of us who are here, give us the boldness to reach out to know what it means to be fully committed to you, God, to give our lives over to you, because only in you is even found life. God, we trust you, and we love you, and it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.